Sadness enters in when the pain begins. Help me pray. When anger reaches me and pride awaits me, help me pray.
as I am without one plea but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee O Lamb of God I come I come just as I Good morning, good morning, River Church. As we're gathering this morning, we do recognize, of course, that there are those of you who are... Oh, I, I hear I hear some sounds in my ears. Um, yeah, it's good to see you this morning. We have those who are on broadcast who are going to be out and about in your homes. And so for those of you who are out there, it's, it's great to have you a part of what we are doing. For those of you who are here on the, on the patio, what a great morning, a nice cool morning to worship our Lord. And so as we gather right now, let's stand to our feet for our call to worship. And our call to worship does come from Psalm 47. Again, we're going to do the call and response. And after a short prayer, we will read the Lord's Prayer together. 
And so our call to worship begins. Clap your hands, all you peoples, and shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is awesome, a great king over all the earth. And God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. And so, God, we gather this morning expecting you to do a mighty work, not only as your people gather, but as your word is proclaimed, as the truth of who you are is sung and proclaimed from our mouths. God, may you get the glory. And as you have taught us to pray, and you've taught your disciples to pray, so we also pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into
to be in the presence of a living God who shows us his love, who shows us his mercy, and he shows us his grace. And he is present with us this morning, and he greets us all in our worship with these words, my grace, my mercy, and my peace I give to you in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You can be seated. A couple things as we anticipate the week ahead. Um, a reminder that Jeff continues to lead us in worship on Tuesday evenings at seven, 7 o'clock on live stream and also on Facebook Live. We would encourage you to join us. One thing is uh, when you're in, wor in worship with us today, a reminder that the QR code not only has the lyrics to the song, so if you are at home worshiping, we would love for you to connect with that QR code that can give you the lyrics to the songs, but it also has the sermon out line for the morning as well as the offering that we're going to be taking in a couple minutes or, or highlighting in a couple minutes. We want to highlight all those things. If you would like to engage with that QR code as you come in or even jump up now um, as we sing the next song, you're welcome to do that and that connect you can help connect you better to worship. Um, this coming Wednesday we have something really exciting. First of all we have Legacy Nights which was always a fun time. Uh, multiple spaces here on campus are used by our Kingdom Kids, our cadets, our GEMS ministry, and our junior high youth ministry. There's lots of energy going on. And if you have not registered your child for that, please do the, so online. That makes it very easy for you to come in. We have things mapped out in the parking lot, very easy for you to follow. You can drop off your kid and um, know when to pick them up and all that sort of stuff because we want to give opportunity for our kids to continue to grow and, and be discipled and know the presence of God as they share space together. Um, and that's what Legacy Nights is all about. One thing that's special this coming Legacy Nights, which we're excited about, is James Verhoeven, who is um, a history teacher over at Redlands High School, um, has offered to sort of moderate um, a dialogue and do a presentation on the propositions that are coming up 
up in November's election. Um, some of you, I'm sure, have received your booklet and you've looked at how thick that is. Lots of paperwork there. James wants to help us understand better what it is that those propositions are all about. He's trying um, to do that in a very neutral fashion just so we can get information out and gain some more understanding. That starts at uh, 6 o'clock and we would love for you to join us. It'll be in the sanctuary. Um, We'll be following protocols, so bring your face mask along, sanitizer if you'd like that. We're going to spread out and James will lead us through a good time of learning and growing and preparing ourselves for that good work of voting, of living into our responsibility as good citizens and uh, understanding best what it is that we do in that activity. Um, Another thing that we get to do this morning is um, honor God's will for the church as he has raised up numerous leaders. I want to welcome four men forward whom God has called to be office bearers in the church for the upcoming three years. Thomas, Landon, Harold, and John. If you would join me up here for a moment trying to figure out how to do an installation of office bears in our present reality was something that we we tried to figure out a little bit and we're going to do it this way and trust that God is honored in this. Harold and John have been called by God to um, serve in the office of deacon and um, Landon and Thomas have been called by God to live into the office of elder and we install them for that good work uh, for the three years ahead and we trust that God will be in you and equip you and that um, you will live into the call of God as you serve in these offices. Elders, elders serve by exercising oversight of the church in Christ's name. The Apostle Paul told the elders at Ephesus, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Elders must provide for the true teaching of the word, instruction for faith formation for both youth and adults, regular celebration of the sacraments, and faithful counsel and discipline when keeping in, while keeping in confidence those matters entrusted to them. They must promote fellowship and hospitality among believers and should ensure good order in the church and stimulate witness to all people. That's your work, gentlemen. You deacons, you serve by leading and equipping the church to minister to its members and the world in a rich diversity of ministries, awakening compassion, demonstrating mercy, seeking justice, and collaborating with God's spirit for the transformation of persons and communities. In imitation of Christ's mercy, deacons teach us to love God, our neighbors, and the creation with acts of generous sharing, joyful hospitality, thoughtful care, and wise stewardship of all God's gifts. Deacons offer holistic responses that respect the dignity of all people, working to change exploitive structures and systems, equipping the church for ministries of reconciliation and peacemaking, and seeking opportunities for advocacy. To help them accomplish these tasks, deacons are to identify and develop gifts in both the church and community. By adding to all this words of encouragement and hope, deacons demonstrate in word and deed the care of the Lord himself. That's your work, gentlemen. May God equip you to that end. I'm going to ask you simply a couple questions. If you agree, your response is this. I do, God helping me. Do you believe that in the call of this congregation, God himself is calling you to these holy offices? 
Do you believe that the Old and New Testaments are the Word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and life? Do you subscribe to the doctrinal standards of this church, rejecting all teachings which contradicts them? And do you promise to do the work of your office faithfully, in a way worthy of your calling and in submission to the government and discipline of the church? Thomas, what is your answer? Landon, what is your answer? John, what is your answer? And Harold, what is your answer? May God bless you in the promise that you have made here today. Here's my prayer for you as you begin this. God, our Heavenly Father, who has called you, God, our Heavenly Father, who has called you to these sacred offices, guide you by his word, equip you with his spirit, and so prosper your ministries that his church may increase and his name be praised. Amen. And I have a charge for you folks, a charge to support, to pray for, to love these men as they lead. Do you, people of the river, promise to be a part of the work of Christ's church by praying for, supporting, and loving these men as they execute their office? What is your answer? May God equip you in the promises that you have also uh, made today. Since we can't lay hands on each other, right, uh, today in present circumstances, we're simply going to reach out in blessing towards these men as we pray for them. If you would reach out your hands, men, would you receive the blessing of, of God and his people? Father, be present with these men. Equip them with patience. Equip them with wisdom. Equip them with courage. Equip them, Lord, with your mercy Equip them with your grace that they may bear it through your love to all God's people as you equip them to serve you in the office of elder or deacon. We pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that out of their work your kingdom will grow, that these men may be equipped by your strength to be men of prayer, men of your word, men of mercy, men of of love, men of grace. And that, Lord, we can see the fruit of their work as you work through them. And we can see the church grow and your kingdom grow because you're the only one who can do us, do it through us. And these men, as willing vessels, are, are, are willing to be a part of your work. Equip them to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. Congratulations to all of you. Thank you. You may be seated. We continue our service of worship by giving of our tithes and offerings. The first offering that we want to highlight this morning is for the River Life Fund. The River Life Fund goes to support these men and the staff and other leaders in this church as they execute the ministries that God has called us to as a community in things like legacy nights and things like Sunday worship, Tuesday night worship, all the different activities that we are a part of. That's what the River Life goes to support. And our second thing offering that we want to highlight today is for Benevolence. Benevolence is a specific fund that the deacons administer to support those in this community who have specific needs and challenges that they face. There have been times in the past when we have blessed people who are going through specific challenges with help with rent or utilities, even things like car repairs. Any number of things can come up within this community. And that benevolence fund equips our deacons to serve those folks in our community in that time, not only 
only sharing the actual physical or financial need, but sharing in that need the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. That's what we're a part of supporting today as we give joyfully and generously back to the kingdom. Let's pray as we do that. Father, bless us as we give of our tithes and offerings back to you. Lord, you have equipped us with so many good things. We know so many blessings in our lives. Out of that abundance, Lord, may we give back to you with joy and generosity and may what we give be multiplied by your spirit that what we can do, what you will do through us to grow your kingdom is much greater than we imagine, much larger than we can envision because it's God's size, it's not our size. Father, take what we give, multiply it for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's continue to worship. And continuing to look at our series in Job, uh, our text for this song of preparation titled, How Long? How long will you turn your face away? How long do you hear us when we pray? Pilgrim way, how long? How long till your children find their rest? How long till you draw them to your breast? We go on holding to your promises.
Thank you, Jeff and Praise Team, for leading us into worship today. We want to bless our kids. Kids, wherever you might be, if you would stand and receive God's blessing through us, God's people, and then you can bless us too. Our blessing to all of our children, wherever they may stand as we raise our hands to them, is this. May you always know God's love. One, two, three. May you always know God's love. And kids, would you turn to your family, friends, raise your hand in blessing to them, and your words of blessing to them is the same. May you always know God's love too. One, two, three. May you always know God's love too. Children, be blessed. We love you so much. We're so glad that you're a part of our time of worship. We're continuing our series in the book of Job, and um, yes, there is a lot of text that we're running through. We are going to, uh, over the course of this series, read the entire book of Job, um, one verse at a time, Um, but uh, in that, I think we're getting and we're capturing a picture of the book of Job that um, perhaps we don't get. We think of sort of the generalities. We've known Job as a book uh, that speaks of suffering, that speaks of God's presence, that speaks of of um, God's power and his sovereignty. But as we dig through each verse individually and as we uh, go through each chapter, we get sort of a shape and form of the different conversations that are going on. And today, uh, we're gonna be talking about um, Job's continuing conversation with his friends this morning. It's Zophar, and Zophar has some things to say. Unfortunately, Zophar makes uh, some similar mistakes to that of his friends, and there's some challenge that comes, there's some hurt that comes uh, to Job, um, which highlights something that I was thinking about as I was reading this, that those people who hurt us the most are often those people who are closest to us. Isn't that true? You think about those things that have been said to you over the years of your life, and who has said those things, and and how much those things can hurt, especially if they're close. I think of my relationship with Kristen. I love her. She's my great gift from God, and I'm so grateful for her. Um, And yet, in our conversation over the course of 27 years of ministry, there have been words that both of us have said to each other that we will never forget. We will always be reminded of in some way. Certainly, Certainly, we forgive each other, and we work through that process. But it's those people closest to us. I I think back to when I was a kid, um, about five years old or so. Um, I'm just going to say it this way. My mom needed help keeping her color natural. Does that, hair color natural, does that make any sense to anybody? She needed a little bit of help with that, which meant that she regularly had to get help with that. And if she didn't regularly get help with that, then all of us noticed. In fact, one time it was enough that I looked at my mom and I said to her, mom, you have a lightning bolt on your head because her color was showing through. The gray was showing through at her roots, and it was enough. It looked like a lightning bolt to me. And I actually heard from my mom several years ago that she remembered that statement and remembered it as hurtful at the time. Our children, those who love us the most and we love the most, can hurt us. And this morning, in the conversation that Zophar has with Job, he does so in a loving way. He's a loving friend. And yet, out of his words, there is pain, and it cuts deep. As we dig into God's word and discover what, we, what God has for us there, let's pray for the Spirit's equipping and the Spirit's blessing. Let's pray. Father, be present with us. 
Encourage us through your spirit. Speak to us your words of hope, your words of love, your words of comfort. Lord, your word has power, and I pray that in my disappearing and you being present, that we can receive that power for what it is, transformational for all of our lives, equipping us to live deeper in relationship with you. Pray, Father, that you might move into our hearts in whatever way we need. There are those here who need your transformation, who need your conviction, who need even a good uh, kick in the pants. Lord, you do that according to your will. Also bring comfort and encouragement to those of us who need that as well. We pray, Father, your presence in all of this. To you be the glory forever. In Jesus' name, amen. We're reading from Job chapter 11. We're going to be reading all the way through chapter 14 as over the course of the message. We'll begin with that first chapter. It says this there, Then Zophar the Namathite replied, Are all these words to go unanswered? Is this talker to be vindicated? Will your idle talk reduce others to silence? Will no one rebuke you when you mock? You say to God, my beliefs are flawless, and I am pure in your sight. Oh, how I wish that God would speak, that he would open his lips against you and disclose to you the secrets of wisdom, for true wisdom has two sides. Know this, God has even forgotten some of your sin. Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens above. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths below. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. If he comes along and confines you in prison and convenes a court, who can oppose him? Surely he recognizes deceivers, and when he sees evil, does he not take note? But the witless can no more become wise than a wild donkey's colt can be born human. Yet if you devote your heart to him and stretch out your hands to him, if you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then free of fault you will lift up your face. You will stand firm and without fear. You will surely forget your trouble, recalling it only as waters gone by. Life will be brighter than noonday, and darkness will become like morning. You will be secure because there is hope. You will look about you and take your rest in safety. You will lie down with no one to make you afraid, and many will court your favor. But the eyes of the wicked will fail, and escape will elude them. Their hope will become a dying gasp. Now as we hear Zophar talk, there's a lot that sounds really good right? If you look at verses, verse 7, it says this, can you fathom the mysteries of God? Well, no, I can't. That seems true. Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? Again, no. They are higher than the heavens above. What can you do? It's, it's sort of giving this picture of God being holy and sovereign and humanity not being holy and not being sovereign. Well, we hear that, right? And we all agree. That's true. We all know we're not holy. We all know we're not sovereign. Yes, that's absolutely right. The problem is, is that so far continues. And in his words to Job, he doesn't understand completely what he's saying. Beginning in verse 13, he says, if you devote your heart to him, stretch out your hands to him. If you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then free of fault, you will lift up your face. 
He's really saying to Job, Job, I know you're hurting, and here is how it is that you can feel better. Again, he says, similar theme as the rest of the friends, you need to get it right because you haven't gotten it right. And you can hear, in fact, in a moment, you'll hear how strongly Job reacts to those words because Job is simply in that place of processing his own pain and hurt. And some of you know that experience, right? Where you've got something going on in your heart and you sit with your spouse or you sit with a friend or maybe your parents or someone who is trusted and you talk through something that is difficult or painful or causes you hurt. And over the course of that conversation, you say things that maybe you don't fully and completely mean, but you're just processing and as Zophar is saying what he's saying, he's saying it in response to what Job has said previously in the last couple chapters. And he's not hearing Job processing. What he's hearing is that Job doesn't have it quite right in his mind and he wants him to get it right because then in his mind, if he gets it right, that'll make him feel better. Now, we look at that and we, of course, say, Zophar, you nitwit, what are you doing? You can do better. The only problem is, is that so often we've done that, haven't we? We've lived into that with people around us who are going through struggle, who are going through pain, who are going through challenge. Let me give you an example. There's somebody who, let's say, for example, um, a a child is in illness, a graven illness, and you look at that person um, and you see the pain that they're walking through and you send them a verse or you send them a book and you say, this is something that can help you. Now, that may be a very helpful thing. That may be a very good thing. But so often what we're transmitting by doing that is we're transmitting, you haven't got it right. This will help you get it right when that person is in that place of pain. And we're just, we can be simply adding to it. What I want to encourage all of us to do is, sure, if you have good resources, I think of those of you who are widows out there and listening today. You know the pain of losing a spouse and you know what it looks like and you find out when somebody else who loses his spouse and they're going through that same sort of pain. You want to share with them the truth of what you know. You want to share with them the comfort that you have received. But my encouragement to you is ask permission first. Ask if somebody wants to receive that blessing from you, that resource, that book, those verses. In a sense, almost saying, can I share something with you that's been a blessing to me and I pray it can be a blessing to you? Zophar and the other friends don't do that. They just hold forth. They just go after Job and say, you need to get it right. Here's how you can get it right. We can help people get it right. But let's ask them if they're in that place or if instead maybe they're in that place where they're just hurting and in pain and simply need us to be present in love and support with them. What are we saying when we say what we say? We need to be very conscious, wise, and discerning when we live into that. We're going to see the consequence for Job as we read chapter 12. He says this to begin the passage. 
Doubtless you are the only people who matter. Sound like a person who's been hurt. To hurt him. This has hurt him. And wisdom will die with you. But I have a mind as well. I am not inferior to you. Who does not know all these things? I have become a laughing stock to my friends, though I called on God and he answered. A mere laughing stock, though righteous and blameless. Those who are at ease have contempt for misfortune, as the fate of those whose feet are slipping. The tents of marauders are undisturbed, and those who provoke God are secure. Those God has in his hands. But ask the animals, they will teach you. Or the birds in the sky, they will tell you or speak to the earth and it will teach you or let the fish in the sea inform you. Which of all these things does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? And his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. Does not the ear test words as the tongue tastes food? Is not wisdom found among the aged? Does not long life bring understanding? To God belong wisdom and power. Counsel and understanding are his. What he tears down cannot be rebuilt. Those he imprisons cannot be released. If he holds back the waters, there is drought. If he lets them loose, they devastate the land. To him belong strength and insight. Both deceived and deceiver are his. He leads rulers away stripped and makes fools of judges. He takes off the shackles put on by kings and ties a loincloth around their waist. He leads priests away stripped and overthrows officials long established. He silences the lips of trusted advisors and takes away the discernment of elders. He pours contempt on nobles, disarms the, the mighty, He reveals the deep things of darkness, brings utter darkness into the light. He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and disperses them. He deprives the leaders of the earth their reason. He makes them wander in a trackless waste. They grope in darkness with no light. He makes them stagger like like drunkards. We hear the passage begin and Job is clearly not happy with his friends. He says to them right at the beginning, you are the only people who matter. You're the only ones who got it right. You must think I'm a fool. But then he does something really important. He makes this move to highlight God's sovereignty. If you look in chapter or verse 13 and following, we read these words. He holds back the waters, there is drought. He lets them loose, they devastate the land. And it goes on for several verses, talking about God's power and sovereignty all over all creation. And he names that God is in control. But before he does that, he does something important. Look at verse 13 because it's fundamental to how he understands God's activity in his life. To God belong wisdom and power, counsel and understanding are his. What he is saying is God is in control of all things, but he does so with his mind on His mind of wisdom, discernment, of of knowing all things and knowing me and loving me. See, that's an important move that Job is making. He's acknowledging that God's sovereignty is benevolent for him. God is taking care of him. Because the opposite of knowing that God is benevolent in his sovereignty and control of all things is saying that God is blind 
in his sovereignty. God just does whatever God is going to do and it doesn't matter who he hurts or who he impacts. And this is a truth that shows itself well in this world, right? Because we hear people say it. How can God do this? That sort of God can't be a loving God, right? We hear those words from people's mouths that a loving God can't allow COVID. God can't be sovereign because a loving God would not allow people to die in a virus. God would not allow terrorist attacks or war or division and child child, uh, slavery or or, uh, human trafficking or any number of other ills or horrible things in our world that God can't be loving. Job enters the conversation of God's sovereignty saying God is benevolent but we live in a world where often we don't hear that message first and then God's sovereignty simply becomes a weapon that people feel the pain of and they can reject a God if they don't see his benevolence. For us to see that God is a benevolent and loving God, even when the times are most difficult, and you may be sitting now and saying, of course God is sovereign. Of course he is. God is in control always. But can you do that when the diagnosis comes? Can you do that in the phone calls or the postings that surprise you of an early death for somebody that you love or a surprise um, occurrence of something that sends your world on its end. Can you say God is a benevolent God? Job is in the most difficult things of life and yet he acknowledges God, God's benevolence. Can we? Passage continues in chapter 13. My eyes have seen all this. My ears have heard it and understood it. What you know, I also know I'm not inferior to you. But as I desire to speak to the Almighty, to argue my case with God, you, however, smear me with lies. You are worthless physicians, all of you. Again, strong feeling towards his friends. If only you would be altogether silent. Excuse me. For you, that would be wisdom. Hear now my argument. Listen to the pleas of my lips. Will you speak wickedly on God's behalf? Will you speak deceitfully for him? Will you show him partiality? Will you argue the case for God? Would it turn out well if he examined you? Could you deceive him as you might deceive a mortal? He would surely call you to account if you secretly showed partiality. Would not his splendor terrify you? Would not the dread of him fall on you? Your maxims are proverbs of ashes. Your defenses are defenses of clay. That's what he thinks of their counsel. Keep silent, let me speak. And let me come, then let come to me what may. Why do I put myself in jeopardy and take my life in my hands? Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance, for no godless person would dare come before me. Listen carefully to what I say. Let my words ring in your ears. Now that I have prepared my case, I know I will be vindicated. Can anyone bring charges against me? If so, I will be silent and die. Only grant me these two things, God. Now he starts his conversation with God. Then I will not hide from you. Withdraw your hand far from me. Stop frightening me with your terrors. Then summon me and I will answer or let me speak and you reply to me. How many wrongs and sins have I committed? Show me my offense and my sin. 
Why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? Will you torment a windblown leaf? Will you chase after dry chaff? For you write down bitter things against me and make me reap the sins of my youth. You fasten my feet in shackles. Keep close watch on all my paths by putting marks in the soles of my feet so man wastes away like something rotten, like a uh, garment eaten by moths. As we hear this, I want you to very quickly turn into turn to verse 5 and read this because maybe this can be your takeaway from today. Here is wisdom for many of us. If only you would be altogether silent for you, that would be wisdom. We need to hear that sometime. That sometimes the best thing that we can do when confronted with a difficult thing is keep our mouth shut to not reply to the text, to not make a comment on the post, to keep our ideas to ourselves for now because in doing so, we don't create more of a firestorm or more pain or more suffering than there already is. For us to keep silent sometimes is the better part of wisdom. That's obviously what Job is longing from his friends because he wants to deal with God. He's seeing what they're offering to him is nothing. He wants to deal with God. Verse three, it says this. But I desire to speak to the Almighty and argue my, pa- my case with God. He wants to get before God and say, why? Come on, God. I'm righteous. I'm holy. I haven't done anything to deserve this. I haven't done anything wrong. And yet you have allowed this to happen to me. Why? I don't deserve this. Which is a a sort of feeling that many of us know that feeling of. We wonder, why God, why? This is those big questions that we talked about several weeks ago where we, Job wants that moment of clarity with God. He wants to plead his case and for God to give him a response. The only thing is he better be careful what he wishes for, right? Because that's going to come. And when it comes, Job is struck silent by the grandeur and the incredibleness of who God is. And for us to understand that when we have the questions why, we're standing before the same almighty, sovereign, incredible God. How long would it take you and I to put a mountain up like that? How long? A lifetime? Probably a lifetime wouldn't even begin to create that sort of mountain. God does it with a breath. How far can you travel in a lifetime? If you and I could take the the greatest space vehicle that we know in a lifetime, we couldn't even get to the closest star. And yet God called all creation together in a moment. That's the sort of God that we're asking our questions of why from our human perspective. And Job is going to be confronted with that very, very soon. And when he does, he is struck silent. And hearing that, then even staying in sort of that place, we say, well, then we can't question God, right? We have no standing before the sovereign creator of the universe who has done all these amazing things, making a mountain, creating the universe, the depths of the ocean. We can't have a conversation with, we're just best off keeping silent. 
but thankfully we have one more chapter. And in the last chapter, what we're gonna hear is what Job's longing, God answers. He just doesn't do it in this book. But he does it, and when he does it, it changes everything. Chapter 14, mortals born of women, of women are of few days and full of trouble. They spring up like flowers and wither away, like fleeting shadows they do not endure. Do you fix your eye on them? Will you bring them before you for judgment? Who can bring what is pure from the impure? No one. Person's days are determined. You've decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed. So look away from him and let him alone till he has put in his time like a hired laborer. At least there is hope for a tree. If it is cut down, it will sprout again. And its new shoots will not fail. Its roots may grow old in the ground and its stump die in the soil. Yet at the scent of water, it will bud and put forth shoots like a plant. But a man dies and is laid low. He breathes his last and is no more. As the water of a lake dries up or a riverbed becomes parched and dry, so he lies down, does not rise. Till the heavens are no more, people will not awake or be roused from their sleep. If only you would hide me in the grave. Conceal me till your anger has passed. If only you would set me, set me a time and then remember me. If someone dies, will they live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait for my renewal to come. You will call, I will answer you. You will long for the creature your hands have made. Surely then you will count my steps, but not keep track of my sin. My offenses will be sealed up in a bag. You will cover over my sin. But as a mountain erodes and crumbles, as a rock is moved from its place, as water wears away stones and torrents wash away the soil, so you destroy a person's hope. You overpower them once for all, and they are gone. You change their countenance and send them away. If their children are honored, they do not know it. Their offspring is brought low. They do not see it. They feel but the pain of their own bodies and mourn only for themselves. As we read those last verses, verses 18 through the end of the chapter, we hear Job's lament of pain because he can't he can't stand before a sovereign God and get an answer, and yet in God's sovereignty, God has complete control. He has no standing. There is no hope. In fact, he even says that. You destroy a person's hope. That's understandable. If we truly think of God being sovereign, God in and of himself as creator father being sovereign over all things and we can't make sense of the suffering and the pain in the world around us then it seems that that would be where we would all end up where there is no hope but praise be to God we have verse 13 look at verse 13 if only you would hide me in the grave and conceal me till your anger has passed. If only you would set a time and then remember me. What a beautiful foreshadowing, isn't it? Because that's exactly what God does. He doesn't do it in this book, but he hides us with Jesus in the grave until God's anger, his judgment for sin is passed. And now, instead of standing before a God from whom we can't get answers, we don't stand alone. We stand with his son, his one and only 
perfect son who stands beside us as our brother and says, as the accusations that we make to God, Jesus says to his father, hold on. He's, he's with me. We're together. He knows, he, he knows my grace and my love. We're united. Father, let's talk. Let's talk about their suffering. Let's talk about their pain. That verse, verse 13, changes how we read it because before we would have no hope. We would be in that place where he laments before God, you've taken it all away. But because we know the truth of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and the book of Romans where it speaks about the grace of Christ, we hear the story of God being present with his people in Jesus Christ, transforming our relationship with the Father of an unholy person before a holy sovereign God to being one united with our brother Jesus who brings our lament and our words before the father and the father listens the son intercedes and the father listens this is the encouragement that we have through Jesus this is why we believe what we believe because if we don't believe it frankly as a person who's thought about this way too much sometimes, there is no hope. There's no reason. There's no purpose. Because Jesus is the only one who supplies it and the only one who gives it to us. And the beautiful part is, he is with us always. He's promised that and he keeps his promises. And that promise continues even to the moment when the trumpet sounds and the Lord descends and we enter into that place of judgment where we stand before the sovereign, holy God and Christ himself unites himself with us, puts his arm around us and says, this is my sister. She's with me and we've prepared a place in there for her. This is my brother. He's with me. He has a reward ahead. Can we go and see it? That's something that Christ promises us. And he promises us for the future, but he promises us for that now too. That's what the table is about. I want to encourage you to prepare your elements for the celebration of the sacrament. Good. Thank you. If you know the story of the sacrament of communion, and if you need the elements, please raise your hand. The elders have some available, and they'll bring them to you. This meal that we celebrate was in a context, right? We all know it. We've talked about it before. It came in the context of celebrating the Passover meal. And the Passover meal, if you know anything about the history of it, was a celebration of the memory the memory of God's people being redeemed from slavery. They were in Egypt. They were slaves at the hands of Pharaoh. And God came and to those doorways where there was blood and uh, blood on the doorway, God passed over. And he left that house alone and those houses where there was no blood, he came and did through the angel of death, took away the firstborn of all the Egyptians. Passover celebrates that memory of rescue. 
But in the sacrament that we celebrate, the story changes. This is not a story about the past then. This is a story about the present. Even hear it as we hear the words of Jesus in instituting the sacrament. He took the bread that they were using for the meal. He gave thanks for it. He broke it so that they might see. And he said this. He said, this is my body and it is for you. Likewise, a little later in the meal, he took the juice that they were drinking together and he poured it out so that they might see. And he said to them, this is my body, or this is my blood, and it is for you. Now again, grammatically, it is. That's a present statement of being. This body is for us now. It's not about the memory of God's rescue. It's about the reality of God's present rescue now. When we participate in the sacrament, we are acknowledging God's rescue, God's presence, God's redemption, the brotherhood of Christ right now. In our challenges, in our pain, and in our suffering, God is with us now, united, interceding before the Father, claiming us as his own, and the Father is listening. Take, eat, remember, believe the body of Christ was broken for the complete forgiveness of all of your sins and likewise take drink remember and believe the blood of Jesus was shed for the complete forgiveness of all of your sins God is good, amen? Let's give him praise for his goodness. Father, we do give you praise. We give you praise as the sovereign God that through your son Jesus, we have a voice in your presence. And through, Lord, your work of redemption, that Emmanuel God is with us, that we can lay claim to our relationship with you in your presence and we can say, we can ask the big questions. We can ask for your your work, we can ask for your presence, we can ask for your making things new, we can ask for your comfort because of Jesus. We pray, Father, in Jesus' name that you do give us what we need today. Give us the strength to persevere in challenge. Give us the encouragement when we need it the most. Be present with us in the dark of the night where the big question comes or when the big challenges rear their, their heads in our lives. Lord, you be present. Give us your peace. Give us your grace. Give us your love. Give us what we need for that moment because it's a promise you've made to us. And we claim that because you always keep your promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand in response together. Days that we may apply our hearts to.
and our dwelling our place in all generations before the earth or the mountains were formed Lord you are God teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to your ways oh teach us to number our days with wisdom and grace wisdom and grace wisdom and grace wisdom and grace now the spirit of our life is made of sorrow and God equip you with his wisdom and grace as you go from this place to live in his presence, to live in his presence as you take on whatever challenges this world may throw at you, knowing that he is present with you and equips you with all good things every moment of every day. Go from this place with his blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his smile towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God's people said together, amen. Being glad, sing for joy.
have a great, great week. We'll see you on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Saturday and on Sunday and every other day. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you.